concept to completion, it, it's it's probably my favorite topic being a producer. Um, it's it's always about how do we how do we get there, right? It's I'm honestly I'm I'm not a sports person, but uh, it's the equivalent to taking a ball and you're you're handed that ball and you have to run it down the field while these gigantic individuals are trying to tackle you or they're putting obstacles in your way, and you have to get that ball to the end zone in order to score. And there's all of these barriers for whatever reason they're in front of you and. Um, so it's always about making that process as efficient as possible. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? I think you know, but I'm going to tell you once again, it's fantastic. What if we record one day and you're just, you know, you're, you're just doing all right, you know, or you're just having a regular great day? I will still say I'm fantastic. Your, your fans demand that. <laughs> you, you owe it. <laughs> fans <laughs> or fan singular? I don't know, but Your yeah. fans. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. There. Question for you. Yeah. If I were to say blue sky, what do you think of? So the first thing I think of is an attraction that I don't think is called Blue Sky anymore, but it was going to be in Malaysia and it was like the Blue Sky Carousel. Um, but I don't think it's called that anymore. But the other thing I think of is people getting together to think about a project and having no limits whatsoever. Tell me more about this carousel. I'm not familiar <laughs> with it. So it was part of the, um, when it was Fox, the Fox theme park in Malaysia. Mm. Um, and part of what I had to do when I went over there was, you know, learn about all the new attractions and the theming and everything. And there was a, there was a blue sky carousel. There was all these other different attractions. And I think those names have been changed in a lot of cases um, as the owners have changed over the last couple of years. Um, but the carousel, I remember being based on um, certain IP and now I can't remember what it was. Hmm. It was the sa same IP or the same group that did um, the Rio movies um wasn't that dreamworks um i should know this oh really yeah i don't know my ip author. very well anyway. usually i do i don't remember that <laughs> i should have remembered that but anyway why do you ask about blue sky oh well we are going to talk about going from concept to completion today with none other than none other. one and only jeremy gruner He's the executive producer for Franken Design, which is a design firm where they do a lot of 3D modeling and help with design and conceptualization to help theme parks and attractions be able to deliver these massive projects and even smaller projects as well that you and I go to the parks and we see the final product for it. And what's really cool is I like to think that today's like a look behind the curtain as far as what goes into that. Uh, but it all starts with that blue sky and 
and and really just letting your imagination run wild and then finding out, well, okay, how do we make it fit in with our budget concerns, with the space that we have, with the IP that we're working with, with all the other parameters around it, and then getting to the point where you now have a grand opening for something like I, I you know, Hagrid's at Islands of Adventure, which we're going to talk about a little bit today because Jeremy's got a background with Universal Creative, as well as with Thinkwell, uh, as well as with with operations working for, you know, working for Bush Gardens and working for Universal and uh, just an all around very interesting guy. What I think is also fun is we use that metaphor of concept to completion, not only for building an attraction, but for Jeremy himself, because he started off and he tells the story about, you know, he started off as a fan. Of, of theme parks. And now he's got what a lot of people would consider their dream job, right? Designing mm -hmm. experiences. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that path and process as well. And, you know, there's a lot of different paths that people can take to get to that spot, but it's really fascinating to hear Jeremy's um, journey from, you know, being a, a sweeper to now designing these incredible experiences. So I think that metaphor works for that, uh, that story as well. Nicely done. I agree with that too. Uh, very cool to connect those dots and, and follow the path of his career, which is also really exciting because uh, we, we were even talking before we recorded the interview with him that all three of us met each other right around the exact same time. And I, I think if I, if I trace it back correctly, then it would be around the third week of November of 2007, where Jeremy and I met because we were ambassadors for the IAPA Expo. And that is, of course, where we both met you, who you were you know, overseeing Career Slam and uh, doing a lot of work with young professionals and with the ambassadors. And that's going to tie into the, the conversation as well and the importance of that networking. And like you said, getting your dream job. Uh, Jeremy shares how he got that job. And I think it's, uh, it's some pretty practical advice that most other people probably won't tell you. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's really interesting is that there's things that Jeremy just did because he has a passion and he had mm -hmm. a vision and he had, you know, drive to do it. And I don't think that's what's lacking with, with, you know, young professionals. I think it's kind of figuring out where those doors are open and, you know, how to open the doors. And Jeremy really gives us a great recipe for that. So I can't wait to get to it. I would say uh, now that we've talked about the concept of this podcast, Let's see through it to completion and get to this interview with Jeremy Grunert. Jeremy Grunert, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. It is so exciting to finally have you here with us today. How's it going? It's going really well. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Doing yeah. really great. So excited to learn all about Frankendesign and, and your new role as executive producer. But first, just give us a you know a quick background. How'd you end up in this great industry? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, well, it's it's been quite a journey. <laughs> um, about 15 years now, actually. So uh, started from uh, well, literally, it was a fan as a kid going to the parks. I grew up in Florida, so uh, Disney during the summer and Bush Gardens during the on the weekends. Uh, so I became a fan uh, and, you know, 15 years, uh, about 15 years ago, I was promoted uh, from my role of guest to theme park uh, um, ride operator. So I was, I started by sweeping in the park. So I started at Bush Gardens when I was 15. Uh, I was only allowed to sweep, wasn't allowed to work a roller coaster. Um, so I worked no in the, no, uh, there, there was a, there was something about safety and being 15 years old operating heavy machinery that was a concern. Um, <laughs> 
looking back, that was a good concern. <laughs> um, but uh, I was able to sweep, uh, and it was a huge deal for me. Uh, so working, I uh, worked in the Egypt area, so the big Montu roller coaster, if you're familiar. Um, and I got to sweep around it every day. And, and one day, I somebody was, I think they're all sick, and I got to work the greeter position, and that was the that was the thing i got to tell kids they weren't tall enough to ride anywho i so i was able to start sort of working my way into rides and from rides i moved into um this is a ride operator and then ultimately a trainer was able to train individuals on the rides and uh then moved into his leadership positions and um all of that was largely before i graduated high school so it was uh summers and weekends and after school and that's kind of where the, the career started. And uh, after I graduated high school, I was able to move to Orlando, Florida, uh, where I went to college and ultimately joined the Universal Orlando family. Um, and I was able to work on a, a dozens of attractions there, commissioning them, opening them, working with the creative teams. Uh, and then I, I really started to sort of diversify what it was that I was doing. So I, I started uh, branching out into the entertainment department, um, the events department. So putting on the big Macy's Day Parade or working with the haunted houses and those teams um, being sort of working the production side, um, really diversifying sort of my career. Uh, and then that's kind of when I ultimately decided uh, that I wanted to design these things. I wanted to build them. I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and at the time, there wasn't a really opportunity to do that um, in Orlando. So I actually uh, reached back into, uh, well, I, I think we're going to talk about it later, but I had an opportunity to be an IAPA ambassador, and I had made some really great connections. And I was able to leverage some of those connections into a role at Thinkwell Group, uh, which is a design firm in California. And I packed up my car and, and left for California, and I started my, my design side of the, my career. And uh, I was able to work on parks and attractions around the world, uh, moved up from production coordinator to design manager to producer, and uh, I did everything from building uh, magical worlds uh, with the Warner Brothers folks, uh, superhero cities, uh, Looney Tune uh, cartoon towns, and then uh, ultimately even got to put a, a, a car through a billboard for the grand opening of Fast and Furious. So a little bit of everything. Uh, and then ultimately my journey led me back to Orlando, Florida, which is where I was able to work with the Universal Creative Teams on some uh, magical additions to the resort. So I was able to sort of partner as a producer with the Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure Team. Uh, it was my most recent project. And then uh, I was ultimately uh, able to work on the Universal's Epic Universe theme park. So quite a journey, uh, always theme parks, uh, 15 years full of it. Uh, and I, I've loved every minute of it. That's so awesome. I could listen to those kind of origin stories all day long. I just love to hear how people started off as a sweeper and then, you know, got to now design these things. So you've got a new role now, though, Jeremy. So tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, up until now, I've always represented the um, the client side. I've been client focused. So representing either uh, Universal Parks and Resorts, um, the Warner Brothers folks uh, or whatever the case may be, I've always been on the client side. My new role has taken me to the vendor side where I'm now still supporting a client, but from a very different perspective. And my, my Frankenstein's a brand new company. Uh, they're, they're about two years old and they were built based on a need for a revamped and renewed process of how we design um, attractions and how we design theme parks and whatnot. Uh, and I was very, very lucky to be a part of the team that helped sort of generate this process through uh, some of our work that we did on Hagrid's, uh, the Hagrid attraction. So we were able to sort of beta test this new, um, this new procedure and this new pipeline for how to design 
um, there. Uh, and then having sort of built that, that team went on to develop it a little bit more. And um, after my time with the Epic Universe uh, project sort of ended, I joined the Frank Design team and we're, I'm helping them sort of push that new design process out into the market. Up until now, we've predominantly partnered with um, some of the bigger theme parks um, that folks are aware of, some of the Disney's and the Universal's, um, but we're looking to sort of expand our services and, and share um, our product and what our, our pipeline and services are with uh, sort of a wider audience and make sure that's available, that tool is available to everyone because we think that it's um, a great way to uh, save time and save money while ensuring that the creative intent or that the story it remains intact. So as a producer with them, I'm kind of the vision keeper and the cheerleader. Uh, so whether I'm making sure that the vision, whatever the creative director has stated is what we want, makes it all the way through the production pipeline and then is actually built. So whatever little sketches you see, you always see those concept renders whenever somebody releases, uh, you know, today is actually a great example, the, the VelociCoaster, they released all of this conceptual art. And if you look at the actual product, which you can see in the parks, it looks just like it. That's because of talented producers who um, are, are ensuring they're kind of taking that creative idea and making sure it gets to the end uh, product. Uh, and along the way, they have very talented teams that help them do that. Um, so that, it's kind of a, a vision keeper and then a, a team cheerleader to make sure that everybody's you know stays high energy and is able to put their most uh, put the most into these ideas, these these rides and attractions, and are able to deliver on uh, the expectations that our fans have. So. Um, a lot of that is, is what I'm doing with Franken Design now uh, and what I did previously with uh, Universal and Thinkwell Group as well. That sounds really exciting. Thanks for sharing that. And really cool when you talk about the model of being able to serve other types of attractions aside from Disney and Universal or particularly those who might not necessarily have the resources to have that in-house creative team of being able to partner with a firm like Franken Design to be able to make all that come to life with the same quality and caliber of the big parks. So I think even looking forward of being able to see just industry-wide, global-wide of what we're going to be able to see from from new attractions, new projects and designs and things like that. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the process? You, uh, you mentioned the word pipeline. I know that, uh, you know, with Frankendesign doing 3D models, what is it that is unique and new about what Frankendesign does now compared to what has traditionally been done in the past from, uh, from project conceptualization and, and the overall design of an attraction and large projects that you work on? Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, concept to completion it, it's it's probably my favorite topic being a producer um it's it's always about how do we how do we get there right it's i'm honestly i'm, I'm not a sports person but uh it's the equivalent to taking a ball and you're, you're handed that ball and you have to run it down the field while these gigantic individuals are trying to tackle you or they're putting obstacles in your way and you have to get that ball to the end zone in order to score and there's all of these barriers for whatever reason they're in front of you and um so it's always about making that process as efficient as possible um, what that process has always looked like um, is, and I think everyone here has heard the term blue sky and, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's true. There is a big meeting room where we all go in and, and we, the sky's the limits, but it's maybe not the process that a lot of people imagine it to be. It's much more focused. Uh, nowadays it's led by what IPs, maybe a park has access to and wants to display brands, the associations, demographics. It's a lot of consumer insights that go into <clears throat> what uh, what direction we go? So maybe those the the fame stories of the the Walt Disney Blue Skies and whatnot. That that's um it's a it's a good uh, it's a good memory of what it used to be. But I think that process is changing. Um, so it's much more focused. But we start with the big the big idea. 
Uh, and from there, we move into the conceptual development. So we develop that big idea. And that's um, how big is the, let's say we're building a jungle ride, a, a, jungle, a boat that goes through a jungle. Um, and, you know, we have all these ideas of how we could uh, approach that. Then the, the realistic things start to come in, the budget and the schedule. And we say, well, maybe we can't afford to build an actual forest. Um, so through that concept development, we're, we're basically looking at how much time do we have, how much money do we have, and how are we going to approach actually pulling this off? Uh, once we think we have a pretty good handle on the concept, we move into the um, schematic or detailed design phases or design development. And this is where a lot of the work comes into play. And this is actually where Franken Design System sort of starts to really um, shine, if you will. So this is the part where all of the blueprints come from or the, the schematics that we utilize to design these spaces. I'm sure everyone's had an opportunity to see those. Um, and they're all, it, it, maybe the last time you guys saw them, they're all flat, right? They're 2D, they're pieces of paper. <laughs> um, so sometimes it's hard to visualize what that looks like. Um, and that's probably the most critical moment in the entire pipeline for getting input from uh, a sort of a vast majority of individuals. So uh, in the space of our, our jungle ride, uh, we have a ride vendor who has to get a track for the roller coaster to go through. Uh, we have um, facility folks who have to build the, the facility for where the pumps for the water go and all of that infrastructure, some of the, the more boring stuff. And then we have the scenic vendors who are building rock work around that. We have um, operations partners, operations partners who have to operate it and they have to be able to see how they might evacuate guests from these spaces. So there's a lot of input that has to go into that phase in order to ensure that the final product is deemed successful from every um, point of view. So um, as far as the, the traditional path, we have these 2D drawings and it's typically produced in a program called AutoCAD um, where basically you're drawing lines on a sheet of paper. Um, we at Franken Design have created a new pipeline. Uh, and sorry, and with that, we basically then overlay drawings and we're constantly redlining those and we're constantly reviewing them. Oh, there's actually air conditioner vents that go this way. So we have to move the, the show set or we have to adjust uh, this scenic piece or this prop or whatever, or the ride track can't go there because there's it's going through a building. So obviously the roller coaster can't go through a building. Um, so visualizing all of that in 2D almost, it's kind of how it's always been done, but it would be better, we, we visualize the world in a 3D way, so it would be great to visualize our design in a 3D way, which isn't necessarily a new tool. We've been doing that for a while, um, but we visualize them through tools uh, or models that aren't actually buildable. So what the Franken Design team has done um, and what we were able to leverage on the, on the <clears throat> Haggard attraction was um, a tool, uh, Revit, uh, which is a very familiar tool. It's, it's nothing proprietary. Anyone and everyone has access to it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, these are data rich models. These models are smart. They know, uh, they're aware, we, they can generate out element lists. Where, so where props go, they can tell you how many square footage of materials you use. Um, and we can start to instantly collaborate with all of our teams in one shared space. So the HVAC guy who's putting um, air conditioning pipes through a, a queue, and you know, if you have a Harry Potter queue, you can't have an HVAC system going through the middle of a, a, a Gothic castle. It just doesn't look right. Uh, so uh, being able to visualize that in sort of a 3D space and adjust it in advance saves for change orders on the back end. So it saves our client, uh, in this case, maybe a Universal or a Disney, or uh, in the case of anyone else, um, it could be a Six Flags or anyone really. Um, we save a lot of change orders on the back end when we go, whoops, 
uh, we didn't catch that in sort of the 2D drawings because we're visualizing it in 3D. So it's, we're utilizing a tool in a unique way and with the sort of the themed entertainment spectrum and, and the show sets um, in order to sort of build a, a more robust prod product up front and then deliver it in the back end. So um, anyways, after you move through that process, uh, we move into a fabrication phase where everything gets built, um, an install phase where everything gets installed. And then we move into sort of the programming uh, phase, which is my favorite. Have you guys, uh, on, have you seen the movie Jurassic Park where uh, Samuel L. Jackson sits there and he goes, hold on to your butts. And he, uh, he's about to turn the park online. It, it, it's literally that moment. So we're about to turn it on and just hope that everything goes well. Luckily our- Is that what everybody different. says too? Is that like, like you have to say, hold on to your butts <laughs> you before you flip butts, the switch? Yeah. Yeah. That, pretty much every self, everybody sends that meme to everyone the night before. They're just like, okay. And then they turn it on and it, it hopefully turns on and <laughs> runs the way it's supposed to. It always goes as planned. Nothing ever goes wrong. Uh, <laughs> But it, that's the moment where we, we let folks in for the first time and see how they interact and what the guests are experiencing. And then we make some changes. And ultimately, we move into a, a grand opening phase, which is uh, that's where you see the celebrities and the fireworks and all of that fanfare, which is where our marketing and, and publicity partners are, are showcasing this new attraction to sort of encourage folks to come to the park. Um, so that, that's the full design uh, spectrum. Um, obviously, players from every seat come, come to the table, from the operations, from the events, from the entertainment teams, to the design and facility teams. It's a huge effort to, to produce. We're, we're, you know, when we build these, we're building small cities, very complex small cities with a lot of safety regulations because roller coasters are going through them. Um, and and it, it requires, it's definitely a team effort. Um, and then, uh, you know, processes like I've described with what Franken Design is doing, it helps make that more efficient and more collaborative early on so we can be good team players and ensure that that design intent, that football gets to the finish line the way we intended to uh, have it. That was, a, that was a great explanation, Jeremy, and I really appreciate the detail that you went into because I think... There's a lot of people that, you know, haven't graduated to working in the industry that are fans, you know, like you talked about being earlier, and they may see some drawings, they may see th some things that are leaked on the internet, um, but they don't truly understand what goes into the design, and then they get their opening day, or they see it on YouTube, and they say, well, why didn't they do this? Why is it going faster? You know, all these different things. So um, I think that kind of detail, I think is, um, you know, just as, as a nerd, I wish everybody understood that just so that they had an understanding of the, the passion and the work that goes into this. Um, but one thing I'm really curious about is during that process, you know, you talked about, um, you know, making that process more accessible. Um, I think to, to folks and not just the Disney's and universals. And even in, when you were talking about that, you talked about six flags. So is the vision that, this Franken design process can be used for attractions of all sizes for any kind of um, environment or experience that they want to create for their guests. Yeah, so maybe the best way to put that um, in a more simplistic uh, uh, fashion, uh, what Franken design provides uh, and sort of what this type of design provides is visualization. So sort of, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard it, everybody has previs. Um, right now, it's a, a big uh, previs piece is The Mandalorian. Everybody's very excited about the technologies that's being used behind that TV show where um, they're literally filming video screens and, and sort of uh, comping and putting all things in digitally. So it's sort of this virtual production, if you will. Uh, it's not too unsimilar from what we do um, in a sense that uh, 
being able to visualize these spaces because some a lot of folks to your point aren't trained on how to read drawings because it's not uh, an operations manager at a theme park shouldn't have to know how to read a drawing in order to um, operate his go-kart track he might be much more in touch with the way that uh, the guest experience and what that looks like in the, in the placement of um, of elements and whatnot within the the queues and, and these spaces, you know, they they aren't necessarily trained to read drawings. Now, there's a lot of operations folk that I've worked with who are excellent at reading drawings and visualizing these spaces within their their heads, and then they're able to accurately say, well, we'll need a trash can here and here, or else we'll be constantly walking through cleaning a queue. Um, but being able to visualize that in a 3D way and allow folks to see the space, they're able to comment much earlier. So they're able to. Uh, a great example. It's, it's very silly, but. An attraction that um, that I was working on, there are a set of lockers, and near the lockers, uh, there was there they're sort of smaller lockers nowadays because they need more of them, and uh, they, so, you know, they said we need a sink here, and I, I go, well, why do you need a sink here? And they're like, there's no sink, and they, I'm kind of trying to understand that, and then thinking back to my days as an operator, oh, when somebody puts a, a, a Coke bottle in a locker on its side because they're not tall lockers, it spills and then it gets sticky. So putting a sink next to a bank of lockers allows you to pour out the beverage and then put the empty bottle into the, the locker so that you can refill it later or whatever the case is. Um, little things like that, that operational insight, which is incredibly valuable to the creative process. Um, how do you incorporate that note? Or how do you ensure that that individual that's, that's giving you that operational insight is in the room at the right time and can visualize the space and know that that's there or not there? Um, you need a previs, you need a, a space, a 3D model, which again, we've had this tool for a while now, um, but it's not necessarily a coordinated model because the models, so you guys see them all the time. A lot, a lot of phone, uh, a lot of fans actually recreate our rides, which I'm, I love watching our fans recreate our rides and try to guess uh, where the roller coaster is gonna go. Um, it's a huge compliment and I, I've never found a designer who doesn't like it. Uh, we just think it's great that everyone's, they're like mapping out the, the support columns and trying to figure out where it goes. Uh, it's a huge, huge compliment to all of us who are working so hard to deliver the real version. Um, but being able to see these spaces and visualize them, uh, you can comment, again, up front and, and sort of working in the Revit tool because all of the other disciplines are there. So we have the, again, the, the air conditioning folks and the folks that are putting the lockers in and the ride systems there. You can see contextually all of these things brought together. It's not necessarily just a pretty model. It's a usable and a buildable model. So mm -hmm. having that there, we can actually say, you could put a sink right there because it drops down to a piece of plumbing and it goes out of the building and it would be perfectly fine. We can accommodate that design request so much quicker and ensure that, again, it all goes back to guest satisfaction because as I know Josh is, is the, the, this is his big thing, but the guest experience is what's ultimately important. And that's important to the ride operator, to the, the management and leadership teams and to the design teams who are building a product to give to the parks um, for the guests to enjoy. So um, it's being able to visualize all of that upfront and make those decisions um, is a huge tool. So uh, a company like Universal that's gonna have a very robust scenic package for a, a wizarding world experience, um, there's a lot more to visualize. Maybe a smaller attraction um, out of Six Flags that might have some show, but not as much. Maybe let's say 25% of a, a Batman ride. Um, 
they would still be able to benefit from visualizing that space and understanding it. And from that, we can even develop the models into something that's a little bit more attractive. So ours sometimes are a little bit more art architectural. They're gray. They're maybe not the, <laughs> the most beautiful, but we can texture those models and we can start to sort of make them into something more beautiful. And they could be maybe uploaded to a video game engine and you can actually view the models relatively simply. So it becomes maybe a marketing tool. So it, it's about, I, I kind of joke and say our process is um, the old school way of doing things is somebody makes um, a 2D drawing package. So they do CAD. Somebody's making a model over here in an animation software to fake a, a ride through. You have someone over here doing the facility work. So you have all these things uh, that are trying to come together. Why wouldn't you just build one model and then export out? So one model and then unlimited assets. So mm -hmm. we'd then be able to provide those to anyone who they who needs them and they're all coordinated. So it just seems like a more efficient version of a process that has sort of worked for our industry for uh, well, 50 to 60 years now. No, and, and that makes so much sense too of being able to house it all in one space. And then like you said, that example of the sink right next to the lockers is probably not something you're gonna think about unless you've had that problem before. So being able to anticipate that, and you said wearing your ride operator hat, be like, hey, 16 year old Jeremy dealt with this problem. Now we can actually you know, start to fix it right now uh, or, or make sure that, that we are proactive and mm -hmm. make sure we can eliminate it before it happens. Because once you get to that completion standpoint and saying, oh no, we need a sink here, but there's no plumbing hookup for X amount of yards, makes it so much more difficult. So being able to, to identify all those on the front end, I can imagine just the, the huge value and benefit to the guest experience, but also to the operators and to everyone else who's, who's involved with that. One of the things that uh, you mentioned earlier was talking about, you know, you, you love talking about uh, going from concept to completion, and you're talking about starting with blue sky, and then you kind of bring it back down to earth a little bit, look at the constraints, the, the budget, maybe the, the physical space. And I've got to imagine that it, in blue sky, your imaginations can, you know, collectively come up with some pretty wild things that if, if you didn't have to strip anything out of that, then I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I know where our industry is at now with what we can do. I, I personally can't even imagine what all of that collective imagination has come up with. And I think the question from that is, how do you know what to strip out from it? And, and one of the things that, mm. and maybe this is something that I think about every once in a while, but you look at theming and it's got the aesthetic appeal, it enhances the experience, but uh, you know, I, I look at something like, like a, a giant rock work or like this wall over here and thinking like, how many tens of thousands of dollars did that cost just to implement that and that hundreds of thousands, see, exactly. I don't even know, right? My imagination can't even get that far. Uh, and saying, why, why was that kept in? But I'm sure there are so many other things that were taken out from it. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what the process mm. is like of, of saying, all right, here's our idea. Here's the reality. Now let's bridge the gap in between. Uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a different, uh, you know, when we talk about, let's, let's talk about team structure a little bit. So when we, when we build teams, um, and that's largely a producer's role in a project is to bring a group of people, an idea has been formed. So we have a lot of folks sitting there coming up with whatever that big idea is. Um, and then it, it's, you have to build a project team. And as I think we all know, staffing for a ride or an attraction, um, a show is staffed very differently from a, a ride attraction. 
Um, a ride attractions staffed very differently than a special event. So there, there's different staffing, and the, the same applies to how we tackle projects. So um, a project, or a sorry, a popcorn cart is going to be a little bit differently staffed. Uh, it still needs creative input because it's going to live in the middle of Jurassic Park, so it has to look appropriate. Um, but it's going to be a little bit different than um, a, a massive dark ride for a Harry Potter brand. So the, the teams are going to sort of um, shift and change a little bit. Um, so once you sort of assemble that team, the producer, typically you'll always have, um, you'll have a project director who's gonna oversee the entire piece. And you have three, um, we call them DAOs or disciplines of work. So we have sort of the facility team who worries about the buildings and all the infrastructure required to operate something. We have the creative team, which is gonna come up with the idea. And we have a show team that's gonna deliver that idea. So if the creative team says, we need a robot that does a backflip, the poor show team is gonna to have to figure out how to make a robot do a backflip. Um, but to your question, um, how do we determine that a robot doing a backflip is what's actually important? And that's where I, I think there's a, a happy marriage between a creative director and a producer where we have to look through, and sometimes in the industry we call them um, core tenants. So what are, the, what are the, the, the essence of the brand? What is most important? Um, and, and I've worked with many creative professionals. There's some really great folks out there uh, from the, the events side of the industry. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys know uh, Dave Cobb, there's a Gary Blumenstein, Tony Baxter, uh, Mike Aiello. There's some really great uh, creative individuals out there that I've had the opportunity to work with directly. And you know, it's this moment where I sit with them and we start talking about what's really important and this, this essence that I've kind of said, or this core tenet. So um, you know, on something, um, let's, let's look at Haggard's for instance. Something that was really important there was an intimate connection with Haggard. We wanted, we knew fans wanted to have a moment with Haggard. He is, he's Harry's father's father figure, um, since Harry's father, spoiler, is not is no longer with us. Um, but he, he kind of fills that father figure void for Harry. Um, we wanted to have a forest because it is a story based around the Forbidden Forest. Um, and then we wanted speed. We wanted something that was kind of fast. And, and in addition to that, we also wanted some magical creatures. So maybe we had four, key, or four core tenants on that particular project. Um, once we kind of knew the four things that we thought were most important to deliver on, we were able to say, well, we needed to be able to see Hagrid. So is that through a media version or is that through an animatronic? And in that particular case, we have two examples where uh, Hagrid's seen in more of a media fashion. Um, because there was a bit more action going on. And then there was a scene where middle of the ride, we wanted to have a physical version of him. Um, in addition to that, we wanted magical creatures. So you see quite a few of them during your journey. And then again, we have about a, a, a 1200 plus trees that were planted to build a forest uh, in the middle of a theme park, uh, which is by far one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> um, but the idea being that the core tenants um, that were sort of decided on by the producer and the creative director led where the money should be spent. Um, ultimately, placemaking is very important. That's kind of what you're describing with the rock work. So obviously, we have to make it feel like a place that is appropriate. It has to support a lot of infrastructure. We have a roller coaster that we have to hide the best we can from guests. So um, all of the machinery and the, the, the electronic rooms and the technical rooms, uh, we have to make a decision. Are those visible or are they not? And if they are visible, then we have to take steps towards theming those spaces. So that rock work that you might have walked by um, might be there specifically hiding something we didn't want you to see as opposed to another space where there isn't rock work because we just felt maybe some landscaping there would do be would do a good enough job telling the story and we can put the the money in front of the guests so a lot of it also comes down to where we want to put the money because the money it's very easy to spend a lot of money on 
um, infrastructure um, in order to uh, uh, special effect or whatever the case is. But we want that money to be in front of the guests. We want them to see every single dollar we spend so that they have the opportunity to have the best experience on a, a ride attraction or within a land. Um, so when we start putting too much money into a back of house, which is required for support, we look for that balance. Where is just enough? that it supports our operation effort, but we still put the majority of that money in front of the guests, which ultimately translates to um, uh, sales, which keeps the theme park going. So it's, I think, I think that's the best way of answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy, um, I know that you have a lot of people's dream job. You know, I work with a lot of young professionals that they're like, I wanna design these things. So um, can you take us back a little bit and talk just a little bit about how you made that transition? Like what kind of schooling did you have? What kind of contacts did you make? You know, those kind of things that, you know, if a young professional is looking for advice on how to do what Jeremy is doing, these are some clues to the right path. So uh, I can, um, and to be honest, uh, I don't wanna say now is easier than ever, uh, but I will say there's some advantages that uh, folks have nowadays that maybe that some of us didn't have back in the day. Um, there are, uh, just from an educational standpoint, when I was kind of growing into the industry, there, was, uh, there are actual themed entertainment designer degrees. Now those um, can cover and encompass a lot of different uh, skill sets and, and um, uh, sort of hard skills and soft skills. So whether it's show management or a designer that's gonna work in a 3D program or an interiors person who's gonna work in interior design, there's, there's a lot of routes you can take. But what I think is fantastic is that these, these base level themed entertainment programs exist. Schools like SCAD, it's probably one of the most important or one of the most well-known ones. Um, they provide an opportunity where you can actually get a degree based on this industry um, taught by industry professionals in, in a lot of cases. So um, I don't, again, I don't want to say it's easier, uh, but I, I think it's a bit more accessible is maybe the best way to put that than what I would have had, which is I started taking classes um, that were in um, lighting and drafting. And I, I took a bunch, of, I kind of made my own version of a themed entertainment uh, degree, if you will. And ultimately it was, it was sort of all based around a hospitality degree, honestly. Um, so, you know, I just, at the time it wasn't something that was available to me, but I took the classes, I, I sort of distilled down what I thought would be most important for uh, what I wanted to do in this industry, which I knew was more of the management side of the show and developing it. So I said, well, I need to have a well-rounded understanding of the different disciplines I would work with and it would set me up for success. So um, from the educational standpoint, um, I think it's great. Look at the programs. They're, they're all literally Google them online and find dozens of them. Um, they're West Coast, East Coast, they're all over the place. I think UCF actually uh, in Orlando just announced a themed entertainment program uh, within the last six months even. So uh, they're popping up everywhere, which is fantastic. And especially as our industry drives more towards themed experiences outside of theme parks, uh, there's a demand for hotels, uh, retail, as we kind of revive retail from moving to more of an online place, we want folks to come and gather back at malls. And what is the retail experience? So that the industry, it's not always all about theme parks, um, but it's, it's, it's the experience industry and how we design it. So um, th there's that side. Um, the IAPA ambassador program, which I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a huge advocate. Uh, it literally uh, changed my life in many ways. I, I joined, I literally, my first year was, I think I was uh, 18. I think I was 18. Uh, I was straight out of high school. Uh, I actually met uh, Josh there. That was where Josh and I first met. And I met Matt there as well. Uh, he was actually holding up, a, it was a sort of a, 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 I think it's called Career Slam. 
And I was able to meet Matt through that. And uh, Josh was a fellow ambassador. Uh, It's a fantastic picture of Josh and I uh, 15 years ago, standing in front of a convention center, uh, (laughs) a fond fond memory. But uh, that that opened so many doors because you have exposure to folks like Matt, which at the time, Matt had a a robust network that I did not have. Uh, I was exposed to ride vendors. I was exposed to vendors that do the show set. I was uh, exposed to vendors who do the management, who do the insurance. Um, There there are so many sides that, that even just provide opportunities operational insight um and the guy that makes the the churros or the the dipping dots like that even that is important um and then all the education sessions which you have access to and if you really want to attend as an ambassador they, they make they strive it's not always guaranteed uh, but they strive to get you in the room and to learn as much as possible so um i'll always harp on that being a huge piece if you're able to do it which i think applications are open right now apply if you haven't um i think you can even apply all over the world now uh, when i did it i think we only had ambassadors in the orlando show mm-hmm. i don't think it was a global piece so even more opportunities but um 100 apply you'll make lifelong friends uh fantastic exposure uh and just the ability to to be immersed by all of it is that was huge for me um and and again it changed my life without connections i would have made there with um uh, my mentor, Cynthia Sharp, who works with the Thinkwell Group, uh, had I not met her there, I wouldn't have had a lifeline to call several years later when I was ready to jump into the industry, so, uh, or the design side of the industry. So um, th- that's a big piece. Um, and then uh, my, my other two things, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I think LinkedIn is fantastic. And I think more people should use it because uh, back in the day, that makes me sound old, uh, I still had to write letters if I wanted to go work or I had to write an email even. Just I had to know the person uh, at Universal Creative or whatever. I had to send Mike Ilo an email or so- something along those lines to say, please give me a job. Um, it was a lot harder to find people. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn makes it a lot easier. It makes folks, again, a lot more accessible. So being able to reach out and and connect with folks, I I add every student that wants to be friends with me on LinkedIn. I, I literally, whoever wants to just absorb the content that I produce or are able to learn from anything that I'm doing or, or ask me, I literally the other day I was, um, I was at a coffee shop in Orlando and this gal walks by and she just happened to see a, a theme park thing on my computer screen and said like, Oh, I'm a theme park writer. I was instantly able to connect her via, I said, follow me on LinkedIn. And I connected her to three different writers. So um, there's no guarantee of a job, but you were, she was instantly connected with people who are actively doing the, the piece that she wanted to do in the industry. So I see LinkedIn as being a very strategic way um, to uh, increase your visibility and uh, networking is, is an incredibly powerful thing. I mean, in any industry, but especially in ours, because uh, you have to know the people in order to, you know, secure a spot. Sending your resume into a careers at so-and-so company.com isn't cutting it anymore. So you've got to, if you, you could have the best portfolio, but if the, right, the wrong people are viewing it, then you're not getting in. So expanding that visibility and, and being available to folks is incredibly key. And then um, my, my last thing is um, makeup projects. I, I don't care what it is you want to do uh, in the industry. Uh, there's a great guy, uh, his name's Colby on on twitter i I, um i don't know his handle you'll have to look him up but he's there all the themed entertainment designers follow him uh he's a student right now going to school cal arts in california and he kept asking how do i get into this industry and the advice he was given was make up projects literally we we can't talk about I, i can't talk about half of the things that i've done but make up some projects and and start showcasing your skill set he has models he has animations he's created all these things for a fabric uh it's a a tiki boat ride. It, it's like Trader Sam's on a boat. It, it's great. But he's just made up this fictitious project that he's able to showcase because there are no NDAs or, or any reasons why he can't share the information. 
and he's showcasing his skills, um, whatever they may be. Or he, he wrote a blurb the other day, so it just showcased his writing skills. So he's just putting himself out there. And then he's connecting with some of the, I, I see industry leaders commenting on his uh, his tweets and whatnot. So he's, he's, he's putting himself out and that exposure is helping him. So any of those opportunities, you put yourself out there. And, and if you don't know how to design, I don't have anything designed, Jeremy. Paint your bedroom. Literally, you have to do a calculation of how much paint you need, uh, your what linens you want on your bed, what type of wood uh, nightstand you want, or what kind of lamp you want, or the style. Like you can instantly build a budget, and you can understand the the basics of how a project. Designing your room is no different than designing a, a $350 million roller coaster, other than there's a lot more stress involved. But it's the same experience. Uh, I was still picking paint for uh, a Wizarding World project the same way I would pick paint for my bedroom. Uh, it was just a lot more of it. So uh, any of those opportunities, just get started and reach out. And I've, I've not really ever found anyone in this industry that isn't willing to help someone so long as they're willing to listen. And I, I can say that's true because I quite literally did it myself. So. That's awesome. And, and now I have anxiety from the time that I painted my room. So thank you for that, <laughs> <laughs> that we've talked about on the podcast before a long, yes. long time ago. Um, going back to uh, uh, what you were saying about uh, being an IAPA ambassador, uh, I, I completely agree. I was such, a, such an amazing experience. And like I said, lifelong friends and connections. And you know, I can think of just any success that I have can easily be traced back to, uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to doing that program through IAPA. Uh, any, any particular memories stick out as far as you know, things that you, know, you like to share just from being an ambassador? You know, honestly, I, it's lame. <laughs> it's not a good one, but uh, it just felt like every door was open when I was there. And I guess I can better describe that. It just, it, I could walk into a room and just instantly watch a, a lecture on immersive gaming and theme parks, or I could just walk onto the show floor and see how churros are made. I can see a ride vendor and understand how much, maybe not how much something costs, but I can understand their sales pitch or how they sell a roller coaster. Every, they were just, it felt like I was walking down a hallway and every door was propped open as where you normally feel like you're walking down a doorway looking for a door that will open for an opportunity. It just felt like they were all open. Everything was available. Nothing felt like it was off limits to me. I can meet anyone I wanted. I could talk to anyone I wanted respectfully. Um, and it just, they opened, it was just like free reign of the show. And I think that just like zooming out and just the ability, I think if you remember, they let you in the day before uh, as an ambassador when everyone's setting up and it's kind of like the night before Christmas, in my opinion, it's like you're watching them put the tree up and the presents out under the tree and you're getting the first look at the newest ride vehicle from Selen's Premier Rides has a new ride vehicle and you get to see that or B&M has their new concept out. You get to walk up and look at it and it's just this, I it literally, it just felt like there was endless opportunity. Um, super kid in the candy shop kind of vibes, but um, just endless opportunities. Anywhere you wanted to go, anything you wanted to do, it just, it was out there. No one was standing in your way and it was fantastic. I, I think one night, uh, I don't know if you were with me, but one night literally just somebody handed me a ticket and said, jump on a bus. And we went to a party at Disney World that night and just got to walk around a, and tour the, the backstage area of an, air, of, a, of an attraction they were building. It was just like these endless opportunities uh, to do anything that was was cool. Uh, the, the IAPA party, you get to go to that and just you get to meet all of these individuals. I'm standing in a, a circle, I think with even Josh, and I'm just talking to casually to the guy that owns Bacoma Rides or whatever the case was. And it's just this, this it felt like you can make it whatever you want it to be you endless opportunity um and that that's kind of my favorite memory of all of it is that 
and I miss it. I, I wish they'd still accept me. I don't think that works that way anymore. But <laughs> I, I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, but that that kind of endless opportunity to just do anything. Uh, it just nothing. There, there was no one saying no. You can't go to this or no. You can't do this or. Um, it just, they, they do a really good job of, and the program has only developed over the years to offer even more opportunities. So it, it's only truly gotten better and goodness, uh, 14 years, <laughs> um, since I last did that. So. That's awesome. Jeremy, I, I wonder if we could go back just a little bit because we actually just spoke to Cynthia Sharp and had a wonderful conversation oh. with her. Um, yeah, she sure her episode just aired. So you're the episode right oh. after. Um, okay. But you mentioned that she was your mentor. And I'm well, curious if you can talk a little bit more about that mentor relationship and, and maybe how important that was. And maybe that's another avenue that uh, a young professional should, should um, pursue. Sure. Uh, in advance, Cynthia, I'm so sorry that I just admitted to the fact that I met you 15 years ago. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, so I, I had a, a thing. I knew, uh, I knew that Universal and I, I, I knew Universal Creative and I knew Walt Disney Imagineering were two of the, the big design firms that you could be a part of. And what they don't tell you is that there's another dozen, um, whether it be BRC, the Hedema Group, Thinkwell Group, there be uh, Bizarre, um, there's just dozens of great firms out there. And if you don't know who they are or where to find them, uh, become an ambassador and you'll meet all of them. Or feel free to follow me on my social networks and I'll introduce you to everyone. Um, but there, there are dozens of design firms and dozens of opportunities. You don't just have to work for Disney or Universal, even though those experiences are equally as great. Um, but uh, I had heard of Thinkwell Group, which was a, a predominant design firm that did some big theme park projects. Some of the smaller design firms may do a land or an attraction. They don't always go after a whole theme park project. But I had heard that theme, uh, Thinkwell did some bigger projects, and I was intrigued by that. Um, so I did a lot of research online uh, of their website and whatnot. And ultimately, uh, I, when I, I got my I, I had the ambassador internship, I said, you know, I'm going to try and find, I know what their logo looks like. I'm going to try to find, and they tell you when you go, when you become an ambassador, they say like, literally when you're walking around the show floor, you're never looking at anyone's face. You're just looking at their, their name badge, such a true thing. And then at the end of the week, you're like, oh, my neck, my neck hurts because you're just looking down constantly. But um, I was looking for that, that little logo or that the, the thankful title. And I was like, I'm going to find a person there and I'm going to talk to them in hopes that maybe I can get a job. <laughs> um, and Ultimately, I uh, strategically positioned myself in front of, I think I want to say it was immersive, uh, uh, sorry, gamification within theme parks. I'm fairly certain that was the, the meeting. Um, and I was, uh, as an ambassador, you set up the pencils and the note cards and you have your duties. You make sure all the chairs are nice and aligned. And then when the speakers arrive, you welcome them, you scan folks into the meeting and then you're welcome to stand in the back of the room and listen. But uh, I had a different mission. Uh, I was, as I was getting people signed in, I knew that a Thinkwell person named Cynthia was coming to this and I was ready for her. I was gonna introduce myself. I had a business card. I was ready to just meet her and, and figure out what comes next. <laughs> uh, and I was able to welcome everyone. Uh, and then uh, somebody walks up and sure enough, they had a little Thinkwell, she had a little Thinkwell pen and I was like, that's her. I, I think I stood up from the table. I knocked a bunch of pencils. It was completely ridiculous. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited to meet you. I'm Jeremy, I want to work for your company, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and she just goes, Oof, okay, let me go do this speaking engagement. And then I'm going to come back and we'll talk. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, anyone knows, who knows me will know that I'll just, I can get out uh, 30 minutes worth of a conversation in 30 seconds. Uh, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but um, I think she had my social security number by the end of my blurb. <laughs> um, so she was going to be able to find me, but anywho, uh, so she, I was able to sit in the back of the room. It was a very interesting piece. Um, it's great. Ironically enough, uh, I, I was able to work on some gamification things with her within theme parks um later on in my career so sort of funny how uh circles happen but or cycles happen but anywho at the end of it uh she came back to the table and she said all right what do you want to do and I said theme parks and she's like you do realize that you have to understand the disciplines and I said sure theme parks <laughs> so she she said let's let's help you better understand the full process and she um she was able to sort of illustrate what the process looks like what the roles look like what Thinkwell would hire for and then took the time to sort of inquire what what are you, what have you been doing to prepare yourself for that role and so i was able to speak to you know i worked largely frontline in the theme parks because i thought that was important uh i've swept things i have operated things i ultimately performed in things i managed things i i looked at the most diverse spectrum of things i could do that were related to the subject matter that was most important to me i.e theme parks and i i became the subject matter expert on all those things so that in the event that i could finally get my job i would have a, a base understanding she goes we love people like you because you understand how these things operate she goes when we bring people into think well they're they're top tier architects they're art directors they're folks that actually they don't know how these things operate. And in a lot, a lot of cases, they don't care because they wanna make sure that it's absolutely beautiful or they wanna make sure that it's well-planned or whatever the case may be. And it's not necessarily important to them how it operates, but it is important to the client. So someone has to be watching out for that. So she said, you know, our show management team, our producers, our uh, coordinators are the ones who oftentimes review these drawings and review these, um, these uh, creative ideas and say, hey, by the way, uh, if you're gonna do a character meet and greet, you need to have a space in the back where the characters can change out of their costumes. Because if you don't have a space for that, then it's not gonna be very successful. Um, she said, that's where you, that could be your superpower. Anywho, fast forward a little bit. I actually was friends with her for several years before my opportunity at Paintball popped up. Um, and she checked in with me frequently. She was a great mentor, just always offering me up. Have you, have you attended this? Are you going to be at IAPA this year? Can I introduce you to this person? Um, she made, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate because I know she offers this to everyone and I can only imagine what she goes through with this. Um, but she must have hundreds of folks uh, constantly <laughs> emailing her and texting her because she's always willing to offer up her time. And it, sometimes it's quick. She, I think one, one year she passed by me and she goes, this is Dave Cobb, talk to him. And she just kept going. Uh, and that was all I saw that year. But I met Dave Cobb, who's a predominant creative director and was actually responsible for the Warner Brothers Park in Abu Dhabi. And uh, I actually got to work with him on that project. So she was always connecting and, and kind of just kept helping me pull at threads to learn more. And, and to, you know, Jeremy, have you tried this? Or um, could you uh, create a portfolio, a visual resume was the suggestion she made. She said, you know, typically everybody has just a standard sheet of um, you know, just standard letter page. I've worked at Bush Gardens. I did this, you know, she goes, have you done a visual resume? And I said, I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> she goes, well, just put some pictures on a page and, and pre present yourself in a different light. Um, sometimes how you're perceived that that might improve how you're perceived, even if it's communicating the same information. So always just giving me little tips and tricks. And, um, she still made me do a lot of it on my own. Um, but she would help guide me along. So, and she was a fantastic mentor. I would recommend anyone who has the opportunity to get close to her. Uh, she will just crack open doors left and right. Um, and to this day, I still go to her even after, uh, I've had the opportunity to sort of go through a full, uh, sort of from where I started, which again was as a, a guest in the parks and then moving into operating rides to designing rides and to designing theme parks. 
Um, and while I certainly have a, a bright career uh, ahead of me, I'd like to think, um, I, I have now kind of fulfilled the standard project cycle from an idea all the way through to completion. Um, I still go to her for tips and, and advice on how to approach things and um, and how to be a better leader as through those processes. You know, designing can be a really rough process, and um, the the time, money, um, schedule, uh, little tr little triangle that everyone talks about. You can't have all three. It's true, and, and typically time's the one that hurts the most, which ultimately has impacts on the teams. So um, I can even think of a few years ago where I was looking to her for some guidance on how to be a better leader within the creative suite and you know doing uh, creative projects and whatnot. So anywho, all that being said, uh, literally, you know, a fantastic um, individual in this industry. There's dozens of folks like her, but um, I'm beyond grateful for <laughs> every opportunity she's provided to me and then guiding me through the years. So um, really great relationship. And I would encourage anyone to find their own version of a Cynthia or a Cynthia. Um, and there are plenty of them in the industry. And again, like I said, there I've never really seen anyone in this industry not be willing to help someone in some way, shape or form. They may only be able to donate a little bit of their time, but um, it's not always gonna be someone holding your hand. There, there's still a big effort that you have to do on your own, but there is, um, I've, I, I've never seen anyone turn down. So, um, and if, if so, there's always another person out there who's willing to, to help you connect you to someone or to uh, provide you some insight that you may not have had, which helps you along your way. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a huge testament to Cynthia for being an amazing mentor for you uh, and, and a huge promo for last week's podcast episode. So if you haven't yeah. listened to it, definitely listen to our full interview with, <laughs> with Cynthia there. Uh, and, and also I, I just love, um, it, it's such like unconventional career advice of like go to a trade show and look for this specific person, but you just show how you just made that work and frankly like extended that and said now here's what became of it now here's you know where you are today so it's even even those really small things that you can do whether it's at trade shows events iapa or any type of networking that will pay dividends over and over again uh, you know for for the rest of your career really so i jeremy this has been an awesome conversation we love getting the chance to chat with you today if people want to say hi to you on the socials if they want to get hold of you or learn more about frank and design where would you send them uh so i'm wildly available on all the social platforms twitter linkedin facebook um you can find me through matt or josh uh, jeremy grunert um or uh if you want to reach out to frank and design uh at frank and design um on uh, again social media uh, facebook linkedin um twitter instagram we're everywhere so you reach out through either uh, avenue or even just the frankdesign.com uh we have a great place uh to reach out if you have any additional questions and you can get me through there as well Awesome. Awesome. Jeremy, well, this again was a great conversation. So great to catch up. Um, we're going to end this a little differently than we have in the past, because usually it's Josh or I that say the signature sign off line, but some people may recognize your name as the first person that always likes our posts when they come up. You're, you're like the first name that shows up. So I want to give you the honor. I don't know if it's an honor, but I want you to say our signature sign-off line. If you could just say, we are all attraction pros and sign us off, that would be fantastic. Well, what an honor. Okay. Uh, well, let me give it my best shot. <laughs> uh, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.